Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't think any young photographer throughout history has done more than Campbell Addy to reshape their industry. From day one, Campbell built worlds, not just in his films and photographs, but through an entrepreneurial ecosystem that traversed publishing and casting. These businesses were born from a desire to shift power in front and behind the camera, but also to make room for exploration and play, cultivating space for his community to be together and build together. In this episode, we're celebrating the launch of his first book, Feeling Seen, a project that, like everything Campbell does, surpasses expectations, reimagining what a photo book can be and do. When I first heard the title, it felt like the perfect reflection of Campbell, both him as a man, an artist, and a creative vision. What have I been doing since A-level? And it's just visibility, you know, from knee to knee agency, to my work, to writing. I'm always trying to just feel seen in a space as a single entity. I'm Jem Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. I'm so honoured to have Campbell as my first repeat guest on the podcast to share his journey, his learnings and how he's thinking about his future. Firstly, welcome back. You're officially my first returning guest, Campbell. <laughs> Yay! This is <laughs> so exciting, you. but it's also mental to me because I cannot believe how much has changed since we last recorded. I know, it, like, I had tonsils. <laughs> like, my yeah, voice sounds painful on the last recording. It does, it does. But you know what? It's still a real fan favourite. People love that oh. episode. And sometimes I'm like, how can you listen to the poor guy? He's, like, struggling. Yeah. It was but... so weird. I, I listened to it back recently, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, I don't even know who that is. Like, it doesn't yeah. I sound, I sound like someone's gripping my throat. But, um, no, it was amazing podcast so many people always comment on it still so it's great oh I love that I, I, I was thinking back to it and thinking about how we talked a lot about you starting out and knee and mental health and I think you either yeah. were just signed to CLM or you were just about to be I think I just I think uh I signed CLM 2018 yeah the summer June July so I think it was just about just signed yeah, 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 God, it feels like in my mind it feels like years ago. It, it like was years eons, ago, like yeah, eons, decades. But, then, but I'm like, it's only been three years. I know, but what a radical three years it's been! It's yeah. wild. When I started thinking about your exhibitions, the new Black Vanguard, or the covers you've done, Naomi shooting Edward for Time, like I was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's an enormous amount of work, Campbell. It's an enormous amount of work, Thank and you. I guess where I wanted to start was. How have the last few years been for you? It's been insane because 
I've kind of just kept going. Like I've just, you know, something I'm trying to practice in myself and in my life is mindfulness because I didn't have a lot of that. I was still very much, like I said, it feels like years ago, but it's not that far. Like three years is not a long time, especially when you're working a lot and things are seasonal. So it's kind of just a bit like, well, damn, I've done a lot of things. Like, okay, take that in. And it was hard. It was it was exciting. It's been, I've been able to go places, meet people and grow as a human in ways I didn't think possible. Um, so I'm very grateful. But I'm trying to also learn. I think now I'm in a space where I'm like, hey, what do I want to do and how do I want to do it? And I feel a lot more confident in me as an artist whereas I think the last couple of years I've just been like okay let me do everything that I can do let me do it to the best of my ability because who knows what's going to turn up and then um go from there but I've enjoyed it I, I've enjoyed it a lot for sure I mean I bet it's been a wild ride of ups and downs and you know like a lot of joy and a lot of struggle because you know making that caliber of work does not come easy no like I was talking to my friend the other day and it's like He's embarking on being specifically and solely a fine art photographer. And we were just talking about churning out ideas. And I was like, in this week alone, I've probably put down on paper four different ideas, fully fledged, you know, up to 12 images minimum each, you know. So it's kind of like where he's like, I've been working on the same idea for nine months, you Mm. know. And it's kind of like, just having that almost um, juxtaposition, I'm like, damn okay, my brain is always working. So where it's been great having a lot of things and doing a lot of things, there were times where, like, I didn't know where I was, what city I was in, or what time it was, or what day it was. And it kind of was like, whoa, okay, this is fab, but I need some structure. And I was blessed to have great friends and a great agency around me because I think if I didn't have those things, it could be very, very consuming. Do you ever envy that, What while I know you kind of have one foot in the fine art world, do you ever envy that slower process? Oh, 100%. 160 million percent. Because <laughs> it's like, but then I also, I have, to, again, growing and learning who I am, I'm not a slow person. And I can envy something as much, like, I could envy a six foot tall person. I'm never going to be that person. I'm a five foot six man. It's never going to get there. But it's kind of, understanding what it is about the slow pace that I envy and fine-tuning it to myself. So it's not necessarily doing one project for six months, but it's more so the dedication to my own craft without input from others. So where I do commissions and um, ad jobs, that's fab. I I genuinely love that world, but I have, have to learn now what does Campbell want to do on his own that doesn't need to be seen and... Like, you know, do I want to paint again? Do I want to, you know, all these little things. Where I was like, okay, do that for your own practice. And then when you're ready, show it. As opposed to, okay, you've got a deadline, shoot here, da, da, da. But yeah, but I couldn't just do slow work. I think I'd explode. Or I'd get bored. I think I'm too ADHD to sit still, so. It is amazing what you learn about yourself through doing and how you can just actually find your flow in what at first can seem massively overwhelming and impossible. And actually that pace is in tune with, like you said, how you think and how you work. It's, yeah, it is really interesting. 
it's so important to try and find that right fit. I think a lot of people try and box themselves into a space, but their brain doesn't naturally work in that way. And they can find a lot of resistance there. So kind of figuring that out is so important. Yeah, I think for any artist, I don't know if any person, regardless of what field of work you're in, I think, you know, COVID 2020 really taught, it really shocked my system because it was like, oh, I was forced to do nothing. And then I started forcing myself to do work. And I was like, wait, hang on. I can actually do nothing. Like, it's actually, I don't have to create a project or do a shoot or anything. Because it's actually quite, it was actually quite, it was that time, I think just before March 2020, I was, I shot Luncheon, then I shot Kendall, then I shot Rolling Stone. And then I wasn't meant to do, then I shot Burberry. So it was like, I and that was just January to February. And then I was like, it was just my life at the time and like like everyone has busy lives but just for me I was like whoa and then when COVID hit I was like wait I those shoots felt like years had passed and I was like whoa okay COVID is really gonna teach me to listen and be slow because I think I'd only been home for two weeks between January and March wow and I was just like and it was fine like I enjoyed all the shoots but it was a thing where it's like I know my body, that kind of pace of work would only have lasted so long for me. So it was a good, like, wake-up call when the world stopped, I think, for sure. We've come together to talk about your new book, Yes, Feeling Seen. And I guess before we get into it, I imagine you've had a lot of book offers in the last few years. Why did you feel it was the right time to make a book now? Because like, obviously I had an e-journal and I'd done like my little zine, Unlocking Soul. So I believe the world or whatever was under the premise that I would just publish my own stuff continually. Because people get asked about an e-journal. And I remember our last conversation, I was like, an e-journal has to change format. And and I've been literally, it's changed. I've created an e-journal four times since that conversation. And because of COVID, I'm like, mm. like I know the world has changed and I have changed. So the format that I wanted it to be has changed. So I assume people thought that was going to be my book. Because when I'd speak to people like that, oh, you're going to do a book? I was like, well, it could be a book, but it wouldn't be my book. Mm. And then when Prestel reached out to me, my agent at the time, Julia, was like, I actually, not. I didn't say no at first. I kind of was like, really? Like, it, was, it wasn't... Um, I wasn't secure in myself to create a book. And she was like, what do you mean? Like, she's very like, you know, I love her. Very good. She was like, you have to do it. What, and, and when I said I couldn't, she goes, what do you mean? She couldn't understand why I thought I couldn't do it. And then what, my little chat on the phone, I was like, okay, I can do it. And then it was like lightning struck. And I had the name straight away. And then I also didn't want to come off as, I know, like a young artist who isn't taking it seriously. So I made like a treatment for our first conversation with Prestel, they're like, oh, just let us know what you're thinking of. I, I pulled reference images, even down to, like, the design, because I love printing matter. So over the years, I have always been subconsciously thinking about a book. Like, mm. I buy books just for paperweight or for font or layout. I don't know. Some of these books don't even come in English, but I like how they look. So I already had almost, like, a catalogue idea of what I wanted. And then... Yeah, the when it came along, I was just cut. It was it was weird. It kind of just was like, bloop bloop bloop, all plopped together. The name was there, and then a couple of things changed along the line. But it was mainly what it looks like and what it is is kind of what I had at the beginning, which is really rare because doing knee journal and other projects, what I have at the beginning is never the name always changes or you know something always changes. So I don't know. I think 
because consciously I had been doing a book mm-hmm. of my work, but I think I just needed someone else, an external factor to say, okay, now look at your work, because I never had the time to sit through all of my work and think, what am I doing here? To sort of give you permission. Yeah, again, like learning about myself, like I'm the kid who had to go to uni because I need structure and I need, I'm not as disciplined in certain areas as I would like to be. And I think maybe it's also confidence having someone say, oh, we will publish a book with you. It's like, well, okay, let's do it. Whereas me doing a book for myself, I don't know if I had the confidence, I could do a book for like a, a creative book with other people for sure. You know, I'm not scared of publishing on my own. But I think doing my own thing, I don't know if I had that confidence yet. But now, you know. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you had the title immediately. And it was interesting because when I read the title, I thought, wow, it feels so integral to who you are as a person and as an artist. But I'm curious why why this title? Um, I was writing... Like every time I do anything, I start with a brainstorm, like a spider diagram, just to get off like little points or notes of what I'm feeling or what I want. So when I was thinking about my book, I was like, the main thing I want my book to be about is me, not just me as a photographer, me as a person. And then I just went into that. And then it's kind of like, I just asked myself the question of um, what have I been doing? with my work and I think I still have the note here because I write everything down in my notes and it's kind of weird hopefully I can find it um what year would it be 2020 end of 2020 yeah and I kind of was just like what is this gonna be what am I about and I met James Barnott this time and Simon Frederick and I kind of just was a place where I was just really reflective of the work I did. I was also kind of bored with my own work. Not that I wasn't creating work. I just was kind of, I think I got into a routine. Okay, here's a structure. Structure is good, but when it comes to creating ideas, I don't need structure. I need to always feel a bit more erratic and all over the place. And then I was like, what have, my, what have I been doing since A-level? And it's just visibility, you know, from knee to knee agency, to my work, to writing, I'm always trying to just feel seen in a space as a single entity. Um, and I was just like, my work is all about that, I guess. And then originally it was feeling seen, question mark. Like, you know, and then I spoke to my friend, Devin and Morris in New York, and he kind of very, you know, very Virgo minded, very straight to it. it was like, what do you mean feeling seen, question mark? He's like, you are seen. Like he would, just, he would, just, he didn't even understand why I was questioning it. So I just lent into it. I was like, yeah, it's feeling seen, and you know, shooting from myself to Edward to some of the stuff I do for like luncheon and smaller publications. It's all about you know reflecting me on the page, my community. So it was feeling seen made sense, and I also googled it a lot to make sure it wasn't out there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's so stressful that moment when you love a title and you're like oh shit does it really exist yeah but um, yeah I've been blessed with the there's been no hiccups like that on this project so I've been so happy well it's an amazing book and 
what I found so powerful is like looking at your work page after page, you realize what a master you are at crafting intimacy. Thank you. (laughs) Seriously, the work is so disarmingly connected. It's, it's really powerful. And that cover, I mean, it's just unreal. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about if you recognize intimacy as being such an important thread of who you are as an artist. Yeah, because before doing the book, I don't know if I really, I'll just be very instinctive. And I think like the works in the book were created between, mainly between what I'm 28 now. So my early 20s, my late, well, my 20s basically, if, if, if we want to like really round it out. And I think for me, my 20s was a huge explorative space, but I never really allowed myself time to be intimate with myself. So a lot of my work is exploring my issues. But when I really look to the nuances of it, it is intimacy. And it and it's weird when looking through the book, it was like, I can create worlds, do all these things, meet all these people under the guise, under the gaze of my photography and my artwork. But it's me alone, sitting, sitting alone, like just casually, I cannot do that. I don't have the confidence to be that intimate. And then doing the book made me question it's like what is it that I can do in my photography that I can't do in real life it's like putting on a, a different hat or a different you know it's like a performance Campbell mm-hmm. like a photographer is a very different person to Campbell who just sits at home with his dogs you know so it's like I think I yearned for it especially at the beginning when I felt very disarrayed and very lost in just the world of fashion and photography. I think I yearned for it so much. I think that's why I loved portraits so much at the beginning because I would, I know I love the face and nuances of people. And I think I'm, I, I'm very sensitive to auras and energy. So when I see someone that I'm attracted to, whether it's beauty, whether it's their mind or their work, I didn't know how to communicate that. So I was like, oh, I'll take a picture of them. You know, if it's me sitting for hours, you know, figuring them out through my lens. And then as time has gone on, I've, you know, I've added a little bit more to this concoction. So it's not just faces. It's now like worlds and fashion and colours. And But then it's like, it's just interesting. I think I've just been blessed to have a tool that fits my expression because I doing the book made me wonder if I didn't have photography what would I do because in real life I don't know if I'm as articulate in expressing myself I can talk but it I feel like the photography hits areas that I don't know how to articulate yet um but it's weird I didn't know I was as intimate and as sensitive until I went through it because I'm a very loud crazy person like Mm. naturally but yeah like it's weird on set and like that um the cover image for example that was the very first shot one of the day shut up and i remember pressing the button and going well damn (laughs) (laughs) and i was like bouncing off the walls i was like jabez we did it and i'm like it's shot one and then my assistant was like take some more shots just (laughs) but then you see the image and it's so silently like powerful and it's weird because I don't know, I'm so much louder than my work is, yet my work is so much more sensitive than I am. So it's kind of like, you know, the duality. They both have to coexist for me to exist, I guess. I love that. That's a beautiful way to explain your practice. And and it it is such a quiet power your photographs have. 
like they're very assertive, but in this very, I don't know, open and warm way. There's like a real sensitivity to it, which is so beautiful, which does remind me of of what you're like in person yeah. sometimes. Well, because I got called aggressive and like obviously as a black man, I understood subconsciously at a young age what people were saying when they were met with my presence. Because I'm also a small person. I'm five foot six, but people often don't think that. They're like, oh, you're like... When when people see me read my height, they have to read the number to go, oh, wow, you are short. And I'm like, because your perception of black men is always so harrowing and big and loud. And there's nothing wrong with being loud and present in a space. But from a young age, they would attach aggressive to it. Even at university, students would... I remember one student was like, oh, you're so aggressive. I was like, no, no, miss, listen, I'm not aggressive. I'm passionate. I'm very passionate about what I do because this is all I have. I have nothing to fall back on. So I think when it came to me standing on my own and not behind a university or a school or a publication, I was a little bit timid of being aggressive because of super passionate. Because I look at people who are super passionate and black in the media, they're often you know, misconstrued as crazy and um, angry and lost and all these things. But it's like, if you just took away the face but read the words, you can't tell me they're not lying. So I think at the beginning of my career, I was like, you know what? I don't have the backbone to go through that with my work yet. Now I'm like, hell yes, call me aggressive, do what you want. (laughs) Like, it's fine because that shows more of you than me. But I think at the very beginning, it was very, it was a very conscious thing that I didn't, you know, even with Knee Journal, the our little slogan was here to educate, not irritate. Mm. People were just annoyed. They were genuinely annoyed when I'd find out. I remember being on Facebook and having, not arguments, but like, I love debates. I love communication. I think that's how it pushes cultures forward. And people just didn't like, I would never speak emotionally. I'd always speak factually. And they wouldn't like it. And they're like, oh, you're irritating us. Why are you telling us all about this? And I'm like, well, I'm not telling you anything that isn't true, that doesn't exist. And then I was like, damn, if I have to become a photographer or somebody known, even in the smaller circles, this is going to follow me. So how do I subliminally, softly but powerfully tell my messages? But now I'm kind of like, I want to explode things. I want to scream and shout. I feel like... Unapologetic. Yeah, because it's kind of just, it's just a bit um, constricting for myself now. But also that comes with age. I'm not 21 anymore, you know. Yeah. So I think it's just maturity makes me want to be louder. Thinking about something you just said about starting out in the fashion industry and, you know, feeling, I can't remember the exact words you used, but that sort of sensation of like, it is a bit overwhelming. You sort of don't really know where you stand to where you are now was there a a tipping point where you felt like oh I belong here now I get it or or I understand it yeah and it's really funny it wasn't a shoot and I remember it very it was weird it was like it was I think it was like a two-year process but like very specific events I remember doing the Prairie calendar with Tim Walker and King who's my model at the time so I was, I, was, I was there as an agent and I was very much like, this is his time, I'm not going to say anything. And obviously Naomi was there and Diddy and all these people. And I just took a back seat. I was like, I'm just here as an agent. And then it was Wilson Oriema who, and also at the time I was going through psychosis and I didn't know. Um, and Wilson saw me like 
bugging out probably next to Adra somewhere and he came up to me and he was like you're never not where you're not supposed to be and I don't know how he knew I was bugged he was just like you're fine here it's okay and I kept that with me for ages but then I kept thinking well if I'm not if I'm meant to be here why do I feel so isolated why do I feel so unseen invisible and then it was like a moment I think when I met Naomi and it was very casual, it wasn't for a shoot, and it was just on the phone, and I kept playing Wilson's words of advice to me, and it was kind of like synergy, it wasn't, there was no, it wasn't, we didn't even plan a shoot, it was just like, you know, real recognises, real, we had some pomegranates, so it was very cute, and I left, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go home, and it was very, like, casual, and then those type of situations get happen, like Edward as well, like, going to Gala, like, meeting, and it's people I'd looked up to for ages, but then it was also like, meeting other like-minded creators who you know may be living very different worlds and we're just sitting here and it didn't feel like work it didn't feel like I had to change how I communicated because there's certain spaces in fashion how I would speak with Naomi I couldn't do at the time and it really shocked me I was like how am I here with one of the most the most famous black women in, his, in our history and we're kikiing like it's nothing. And then I was like, ah, oh, I get it now. Like, it was a weird, like, aha moment. It's like, because I'm confident in myself here in this space. And thanks to Wilson and Tim and everyone just saying, no, no, you're... it's this like-mindedness. And then I also understand that I'm just because I'm not where I'm always... I'm, I'm just because I'm always where I'm supposed to be doesn't mean people in that space want me there. That's always going to be a thing. It doesn't matter if you know I'm at this level or if I you know get bigger there's always going to be people who marginalize me to my sexuality or my race or my gender and all these things so it was kind of like those moments where I was like oh why do I not feel seen that's not my business it's always got something to do with them because I'm out here just doing me um but yeah, it, it's weird. It was the moment I felt like, okay, I'm doing this. Wasn't I thought it'd be a shoot or I thought it'd be like an award. It's, not, it's the most small moments when you're having a cup of tea with someone and you're literally like, oh, I don't have to think about the next thing I'm going to say. And I was like, okay, no, these people get it. And it's, you know, and I'm safe to call them friends, like Ibri and Ami and everyone else. And it's just like, we can, and they really push you. They're not like yes men. They're like, mm, are you sure this is working? I'm like, okay, cool, you know. And that's kind of what I've always wanted. I didn't want a space where I was feared you get into an industry, get to a certain level, and you have to kind of like mold yourself and not, you know, I always feel like, oh, if I say something, are they going to be mad? And also, I'm not from this world. I'm a very small town little boy. So the things I hold dear to me will be very different. And I never want to offend. But those who get you would never feel offended. I've come to figure out yeah I wanted to ask you about community because that's always been so central to you whether it's through knee or your own work and that's a big part of this book you know you've invited several of your friends peers to share their experiences about feeling seen in the industry and I wanted to know I guess like where the origin of that idea came from and why it's so vital for you because like I'm I'm a person literally raised by a village. Like that saying is literally like my life story. I you know, I grew up in a very, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. I didn't grow up in a very nuclear household. So I've always understood what it means to have a community. And then when it and now becoming a photographer, I didn't realise there's a hierarchy within fashion. 
and I there's things that I can get away with because I'm a photographer yet the way I work everyone on the set is a collaborator like I have an idea I will share it with everyone and then we build on it but obviously different you know people work differently and there was a shoot that I was on and it was a shoot where it was 99% black women and I remembered this feeling of hmm, something is going awry and it reminded me of the times when I didn't understand racial nuances and when people were being racist, but they were, you know, very English way. And I was like, no, I'm too old to be obtuse to this feeling. And it dawned on me, I was like, in the industry where it's an industry predominantly for women, the women are really getting, excuse my French, like shitted on. And I was, and it was happening before my eyes in such, you know, microaggressions. I couldn't even say it, but me and my friends saw it. And like, and it, and when I say Jem, it sat with me for it made me really depressed, and I couldn't talk to my team about it because I was like, "There's nothing I can really say." And then I remember trying to talk to my agents about it, and I was like, "Oh, like I still don't know those words to say without it." Sound. And I was like, "Do you know what? I'm never going to be that person who allows that to happen." And then when it came to my book, I was just like, yes, there's one thing about me feeling being feeling seen in this industry, but I want it to be very important that other types of visual creators can express that, you know, not just photographers. So get rid of the hierarchy. There's, you know, Naomi Speaks, she's a model, philanthropist, activist. You've got Gabriella Kufa-Johnson, who's a stylist, but also she's a fab creative mind. Virginia, he does hair, but beyond that, you know, in my mind, I was just, I wanted people who picked up a book who didn't know me or who did know me to see other parts of my industry and world that creates what I do. And then it was integral to have James and Ajami in my book because it's almost like Ajami was my, was the future I could see for myself. Because when I discovered his work, I was like, I've got a queer British guy who's talking about sexuality. I was so prude. I was so scared of being anything sexual as a human being just because of my upbringing and then James I didn't know I was seeking images of my past like seeing James's work unlocked like really like look back really dumb bits of information I I, when I remember seeing drum images thinking black people are fab in the 60s because in my mind all I knew was the white London Twiggy David Bailey and then and Ghana was always poor that's all I was like shown. It wasn't there were, my, you know, my family didn't have those images to show me. And then seeing images of where my father grew up, and it just made me think, wow, okay, we are fab. We are beautiful people. We are, you know, ex- and meeting him and him expressing his love for dog food, I was like, do you know what? I can't have my first book without talking about the things that exist to be here. If James wasn't a photographer and a drama wasn't, I don't know if the world could understand me as a photographer. And I can't imagine how, you know, they broke down so many levels just so then me at 16, someone's like, oh, yeah, you can you can possibly. Because even when I was trying to do photography, people were like, hmm, you know, they were still a bit iffy. So it's kind of like the same as James's books and the drama's books inspired me. I hope this book will then, it's always someone. They don't have to be black, they don't have to be queer, but someone who feels unseen can be like, oh, wait, do you know what? These people are out here doing it for themselves. Um, so it's integral. I f- I found it very, I don't know the word, odd to do with my book and not talk on anyone else. Like if it was just my images, I don't know if I'd be as confident 
to promote it or do it. Like it didn't it didn't feel weird to me to have other people who support me in my book outside of the images. Firstly, I think the book is really radical in its form in the way that you do that. Like even though we both know and a lot of the listeners know that everything takes a village. Photography, despite the fact that it likes to hold up this like one hero creative, is not what it is, right? And but it you describing it then really reminds me of something Legacy Russell always talks about who's this brilliant curator and thinker and academic. And she often talks about how our interconnectedness and how we shouldn't be thinking about art or creativity in a one-dimensional way. And she talks about it in terms of footnotes and how, you know, we should always be referencing all these different points that made us who we are or made the work be what it is, because it does take a village. It is all of this lineage that you're talking about, past, present, future, is all part of this world and it's so powerful to kind of step into this microcosm of your world through this book. It, it, it again, it's not just about the the intimacy of the pictures. It's uh, you letting us in so openly and generously to your world and to your friends and to your collaborators and to the people who mean the most to you and to to the photographers and artists that have helped shape you. Mm. You know, I think let alone to a young photographer starting out who's like feels very overwhelmed by the industry that is a gift but I think to to all of us who feel quite trapped in this cycle of having to be a brand or prove yourself or or be this one-dimensional thing like we're a community and we're stronger that way and I think that's the issue though I think the biggest issue is we all live in a capitalistic structure and that it's crab to the barrel mentality really. Mm-hmm. And it's just whole thing where it's like lift one up, but then it's like I ain't gonna forget how I got here. I'm not gonna forget and I think it's but I think the world wants you to. The world makes it seem so alluring to, you know, upper echelon, all these things they want you to become. And you can be there. Like to me, I can be there and I don't have to not credit anyone I can't imagine getting someone and just saying it's just me like, that's such a bold-faced lie like I don't know mm. if you know I just I'm just I'm just too sensitive to sit and go oh, yeah it's just me loves like, I did all this on my own like no and it's like yes and I may miss out some people my brain is a sieve but it's <laughs> it's not because of um strategic value it's not because I want you know I I and not even conversations we have and I talk and I think I believe in this great consciousness. I don't think anything I've created is 100% original. I don't think anyone has in theory. I just think at the time that we live in, there's this huge great consciousness. And some of us are really, really blessed to tap into it. Bear with me one second. My dog's found a cat. (laughs) Leave. It's like when I'm ill, they run amok. When I've got energy, they sleep. But yeah, I just, I know it's weird. I was talking to someone about the transference of information. I think to push any culture, any people forward, it is the transference. I'm blessed to just have conversations. There's a conversation with someone. My practice grows, my heart grows, all these things happen. And it's, and I can't imagine if I wanted to close those off because I think I'm better than someone or, you know, even from people who, like, interns, I love talking to them. Like, you have an insight into... Everyone has a different insight into a world that I don't, you know? And I applaud that and I look forward to that. 
and I can't imagine. But that's just me. I know some people, it's easy for them to just focus on themselves. And I don't shade that at all. I just think it will be such a huge disservice to how I've come here if I was so isolated in my goals, if that makes sense. It does. And and it really speaks to what you were saying earlier about how sometimes the biggest things happen in the small moments or the interconnectedness of things. These little conversations here or there that can be radical over time or even in the moment. It really does speak to that. 100%. I I guess another thing that I I mean, I've told you this many times. I feel like I have. And if I haven't, I'm going to tell you again. (laughs) But I've always admired your vulnerability and I feel like you've been like this since day dot. I mean, I met you shortly after you graduated, like you were a month yeah, out of college. Oh, wow, yeah. When we very first met, before, way before the podcast. But you've always been so honest and vulnerable about talking about the struggle as much as the success. And I still think this is so rare in our industry. You know, you mentioned before, like your struggle, like grappling with your upbringing as well as your sexuality and mental health and you know we've talked about burnout before and I guess what motivates you to be so honest about this because you know at your level you don't have to be and and it's and it's you know potentially contains a lot of risk yeah it's weird because when we last spoke like I'm a very different human like I tell people the story and it's, uh, some people act very different to it. They go like, oh, okay, this guy's crazy. And some people go, oh, wow, profound. But from the earliest moment, I have a very extensive photographic memory. And from, I remember being like two, three years old wearing Action Man socks, going to pick up my brother from preschool. And I remember looking at my feet going, why don't I have shoes on? Like, and I remember even at that moment, I had a had a had an obsession with time. Like, I remember, I remember, not understanding time, but understanding the picture of a clock and going, okay, when this thing looks like this, that means we're going to go get Leslie. And through therapy and just growing up, I've always had this weird countdown in the back of my head. And it was weird before I understood like what 27 Club was and all these myths about people dying. I honestly thought I wouldn't live past 27, 26. Not in like a profound, oh, I'm going to die. Just I was like, oh no, I have a limited. I used to think, oh no, I'm just very um, conscious of death. So when it came to me doing work, I was like, what? It would be such a shame. And like, obviously, I got people like Warhol and things like that. But it would be such a shame if I died and my work didn't really reflect me and my emotional part. And I'm a Pisces. I'm very emotional. People know me. I'm an emotional person. So it was just, it was just very much like, I don't, I didn't know how I was going to create work and not be emotional. But then having that ticking time bomb, I was like, I got, I think I was, I was like, Do you know what? I'm just going to lean into the vulnerability because even if I'm gone, they'll know who I am. And then turning 28 in Ghana last year, like I, something weird happened. I disappeared for six hours. I don't know where I went. My friends didn't know where I went. I woke up in my um, my little house and I was like, okay, this is weird. And I speak to my friend Devon a lot about it, about the spirituality of it. And he was like, maybe it wasn't a death. You had a foreboding your whole life. It was a rebirth. And I was like, hmm. That makes sense. I don't. I feel like I shedded the skin and the layer, and I don't know if I was able to get to that point if I wasn't vulnerable at all. Because I think I would be very, very, very neurotic and paranoid if 
I wasn't able to be vulnerable in my work or with people just because I'd, I'd always feel like I'm hiding something or the jig is up. But then also, I think vulnerability allows whoever looks into me as an artist or a person to see themselves. Like when I think of the people that really affected me growing up, I think of like Amy Winehouse. And I remember listening to, is it, what is it about men? And she's, it's a song about her father cheating on her mother. And she goes, she just can't understand it. And I'm like, wow. Like, I didn't even know who she was. And I remember hearing it on the radio and going, like, wow, like, my heart feels this. And then, like, discovering Nina Simone and even Tracy Emin. Like, I remember crying, reading Strange Lands and thinking, oh, this woman, like, what? And it was just like, I know, I just, maybe I've just been always. I've always been a bit attuned to the more sensitive of artists. So when it came to my time, it made sense. Like, I still don't feel like I'm as vulnerable as I can be. Like, when I think of Stranger, when I think of um, Amy, um, when I think of Nina Simone, even Frida Kahlo. Like, I remember building a box for her at GCC. They said, make a present for your favourite artist. I built her a box. Again, obsession with time. I put clocks all around it. In the, in the way of Salvador Dali. And inside I made a baby. And it was like a note. Dear Frida, this is a time machine. So you can go back to the accident. So you were... And, like, and what 16-year-old what thinks like that? Like when I think back, I'm like, okay, wow, my mum must have been very worried for me. But it's, <laughs> it's just, that's just who I've been, you know? It's quite beautiful, Campbell. It's quite yeah. beautiful, honestly. But I hope I can be more vulnerable. I feel like I've, I've not reached my container. I feel like I've only done 2% of the vulnerability I think like I said I was fearful now I'm not I feel like do you know what the worst can ha- the worst has happened so I can go through I can get through anything it kind of completely links into the next thing I wanted to ask you which was a little memory I have about your first show at KK Outlet yes which was a two-part show but the second part of it was a body of work which I've been desperately trying to remember the name but I can't but it was about gay nightlife Yes, Unlocking Soul. And we went to Seoul, Korea and Busan. And, I mean, that was beautiful work, but there was real distance in that work. Now, when I think about it, you were you were literally distant, but also this sort of quality that we've been sort of talking around of your work and this sort of intimacy, it was there, but it wasn't there. And now, when I look at Feeling Seen and look at the personal work that you've done, which speaks to Quinness in some way, it's so strong. And it's so present. And dare I use this word, which I'm not sure how you feel about it, but as a queer person, I've got I've got mixed feelings about, but pride, like it's so proud and beautiful and sensual. And that to me just illustrated this journey over the last, I don't know, five, six, eight years. Like it's just wild. And it feels, it's just so wonderful for me to see how much you've grown honestly Jeremy, you're amazing like that connection is like it's, again time it's a timeline like linking unlocking soul to feeling seen it's like i didn't talk much about unlocking soul but unlocking soul was it i chose to be a voyeuristic i remember looking up william klein and moriyama thinking okay well how do they do street photography and i was and i didn't have the confidence but i also didn't have the the juice one would call it. I didn't know what it is that I wanted to give to the world. 
So I chose my head, the easiest option, which was, okay, I'm queer, focus on that, and I'm just going to stand back and be a fly on the wall. But then, if I'm honest, William Klein was my favourite type of street photography. I loved how, like, it was weird. I could hear, like, as if they were moving images of his pictures of people in Harlem. And I remember doing a project and not saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I become more intimate. But I think it was, like, Again, the time I was coming out as a photographer, I think I was blessed to not be so social media heavy. I was able to do something like looking so, really sit on it and grow. Whereas now, if I was doing that now, it would be a thing people want to talk about, write about, it's on Instagram. So I was able to have a little space where I could go, do you know what, I've done this, but what does it say about me as a person, not necessarily my work? And it, and I was always striving for the interview. Like, there's one picture I remember taking in a club called Soho, in Itaewon and it was this foreigner guy from I think America and a local Korean guy and it was like I didn't know them I didn't know what their life was but in that moment they were just alone in this space and I was like wow I just and I couldn't again saying how I didn't know how to communicate outside of photography I just wanted to say wow like you guys look beautiful. And I didn't know what to say, so I just pulled my camera out. And I go back to that image often, and I think, would their lives have changed if I just said that? Like, And that and it always bugs me. I'm always like, you know, hopefully one day I'll find those people and be like, just that. And it, it was, they weren't even kissing. They were dancing. I think to Ariana Grande. And their noses were just touching. It was so simple. But also, I'm always in La La Land in my head. And I think I just was staring <laughs> at them like, wow, that kind of intimacy and love from strangers. Because they didn't know each other. And that's where I'm like... And it also taught me that my sexuality isn't an abomination. I was like, if two strangers from very different... Can just, without even knowing the language, can have that intimacy, then surely I can in my life. So I think I'm still striving for it now. Like, I think... It has it has come a long way, but I feel like I still hide behind things like fashion, set design. Um, it's something Avedon said once when he was like, I'm paraphrasing a lot, but he was like, if there's nothing around as you and the subject, what, what are you capturing? Like, And I think I'm yet to reach that point where I can just really be with a subject and is it me? Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm now moving into doing more self-directed work. So I'm like, I'm finding it hard to vision models in my work again. Because, you know, before I'd be like, hey, create this character to do it. Like, but it's me. I am the character. So it's almost like, I don't know if I'm going to get that power through a model. Unless the model is someone I've sat with for six months, you know? So, but yeah, I'm. I've not made that connection out loud before about like the journey. Cause it ha- I remember vividly that picture again, one day I'll be able to capture that essence, but be part of it, not just be a little snapshot away. I want to feel it and create it and mold it. Um, so I'm on that journey still. Well, it felt palpable for me. It felt like a long growth has happened in quite a relatively short amount of time. You know, I love how self-aware you are and I love how present you are in what 
you've mastered and what where you want to go and where the learning and growth is still to come I think is so exciting because after all you're 28 like yeah you're not 60 you've been doing this for like a decade and a bit maybe but not even not so... even not even a decade like I, it feels like I've been but then I I know I've lived many many lives mm. I feel like this is just it's the life I'm living now so I feel old but also, like, I feel like a 19-year-old at the same time. <laughs> it's like, like, my birthday is tomorrow, actually. What? Yeah, March 19th tomorrow. I turn 29 tomorrow. Happy birthday. That's amazing. Uh, it's weird. Like, it's weird. I get, honestly, up until from 16 to 27, I felt old. I felt every year, like, my bones would get heavier. But turning 27, I don't know, I feel like I had a restart. So I'm kind of just a bit, like, it's weird, like, I have a fixation with time, and I know I do. Because, like, the last four years, I know it's a blip in my life, but also it feels like such a huge part of my life that I, know I just can't wait to see what myself in, like, me at 37, what does that look like? Because that's still so young, you know? That like, is young, but I tell you, as someone who is 39, your bones do feel heavier <laughs> when you're 37. I can tell you that. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take my cod liver oils. Yeah, get the yoga going, get the cod liver going. Like, yeah, that's the way to prevent it. (laughs) Just thinking again about journey, like, I guess maybe I've become obsessed with time now that you've talked about it so much. But, you know, when we first did the podcast and, and, and in some of our early conversations, you were hyper aware, quite naturally, of being labeled as a black photographer. Yes. And, you know, thinking about, what has happened in the world since then think about what has happened in your career since then you know this book is an undeniable celebration of blackness you know black love black style gaze identity culture beauty like it's all in there and so much more and I'm curious to hear how you feel about your place in culture now and the type of stories you want to be telling it's weird because when we first met, I believe it was for Repost and KK Outlook. Mm-hmm. At that time, I found it very hard to attach myself to what journalists were calling me because I was just reflecting me on the page. I was like, yeah, I'm black, duh. <laughs> it was like saying the sky is blue. It's like, come on, guys, dig a bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we did The Messy Truth, at that point, obviously, Nija, I was so fixated on it because as I learned you know the more you learn the more you know and I was like nah there's so many discrepancies in this world and then now I'm almost like a mixture of the two yes damn black there's lots of discrepancies but like the stories I tell can't even like to myself mainly be smarter Campbell like don't just hit the don't be so on the nose about the things you want to explore um so it's almost like I went from being very narcissistic to open to the world. Now I'm back to being all about me again. Because it was very hard getting some success. Because there were times I'd be in a room and be like, yeah, y'all are just here with me because I'm black. And then having to juggle the issue, okay, how do I navigate this? Do I make sure, yes, I make it loud and proud that I'm black? Or do I just, you know, 
want to do my work and people go, oh, the work's great. Because my, you know, my fellow peers don't ever get labelled. And even my female friends who are photographers, they're frustrated sometimes. Like, why do I have to be called a female photographer sometimes? Like, are there no more adjectives in the English dictionary to describe someone other than their gender? And then I'm kind of at a crossroads now where I'm like, it's important for us to talk on marginalised groups and people. But I think for myself, like when I speak to journalists or people critiquing my work, I'm like, cool, I'm expecting them to stay black, queer, da da da. And I'm like, but what's your next point? Because that's why I'm at in my work. I'm like, cool, if I want to create, uh, like for example, I'm obsessed with time. So a lot of my projects coming forward will be time based. Yes, there'll be black people involved and yes, there'll be queerness because that is part of me, but it won't be the forefront of it. And I think anyone growing up having identity issues they're gonna have to speak on it but i think as we grow as a culture there's something beautiful about subtlety like i think of like euphoria i didn't know hunter was trans they didn't make it a thing and that you know she's trans and we get them but how they deliver it to us it's profound and i'm like that is how it should be you know and like Pose, watching Pose, I remember saying to Billy Paul, I was like, that show really changed my view of my mother. She was not a queer person, but that was her time growing up. And I was like, I never understood what she must have felt about seeing black queer people during the AIDS crisis, you know? But they didn't make it such like, no, it takes, takes a smarter, nuanced mind to push an idea for people to understand without just going, here it is. And I think that's where I'm at. I think it's important, mm-hmm. but I think we just need to be smarter and authentic with it. Because when you're authentic with your projects, humans will understand it. You don't need to point to it and mm. write it out, you know. Somebody who doesn't speak my language will understand my work. They don't need to know English or speak tree or be Ghanaian. I'll get it. And that's kind of where... I want to go. I don't want it to be um, a poster for any label. Like, this is about black beauty. Well, yes, but it's actually about Campbell's beauty. Like, take mm. away, the, you know, because I just see myself every day. I don't know how else to not be a black person. I, can't, I never will, not will be, and that's just who I am. So, and it's not just black people in my book. I don't just shoot black people. So it's kind of like, and I think people need to understand that people aren't just monoliths, but we fall in love with people. Like I do it with my favourite artists. I fall in love with a very specific point of where they are. And when they change, I'm like, oh, damn. They're not... They're, like, it's selfish. It's like, oh, like, for example, say Kanye West. I've Watching his documentary, I was dumbfounded at how influential he was in my upbringing. But Unknown, unbeknownst to just his influence in the world and culture. And then I remember like a couple of years ago, going, oh, he's not the, he's not the Kanye I like. And now I'm old, I'm like, how, how, not rude, but how selfish of me to think that the vision of someone that I hold is them. They're allowed to change. I may not agree with the things, but it's like, they're allowed to change and grow. And also what they put out is just a small percentage of who they are. Maybe I understand more as I do my own work that what people see of me isn't necessarily me. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, how do we as people, journalists, photographers, artists, create 
a world that allows people to explore their identities without it being solely their identity. I have so much to say in response to this, Campbell. Like, you've tapped, no, it's good. I think you've tapped into something that I'm thinking about a lot recently. I guess, first of all, I would say, I think when you're part of a marginalized community, I I feel myself that sometimes you can get stuck between really wanting to hold space and really wanting as you say, it to be subtle, it to not be a thing, it it to not be a label, it to just be your life, your projection, your vision, your imagining. But it's really difficult. And I find myself a lot like oscillating between the two. And, you know, if I go too far in one direction, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I'm fighting enough for us. Yeah. Why can't you embody all of those feelings? Why can't yeah. one day you be the forefront of it? If the other day, like, you know what, I'm just gonna, you know. Yeah. Well, you do, right? I guess that's the multifaceted nature, but it's learning to be comfortable in all of that rather than feeling like you're doing a disservice to to something. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's really interesting. And I think a big part of the journalism side of this is people don't listen. People don't ask the right questions. They don't listen. It's very much just like box and be done. And I don't think people are that cognizant of it. I really don't think people mean that mean to do it with malice I really don't I think that they're just not present and this world is quite complicated sometimes okay are you ready for some quick fire questions okay I'm gonna give you a heads up these are not they're not friendly quick fire questions because they're quite profound questions and I'm asking you to answer them impulsively okay all right I'll do my best the first one how do you deal with self-doubt how do I do oh no what happened to quick fire? <laughs> um, how do I deal with self-doubt? I don't know yet. I think I'm still dealing with it. No. No. I I go back to the people that inspire me and listen to them speaking about themselves. You know, whether it's Amy, Nina, Kanye, Virgil, my friends, you know. It's, it's, it's exciting to... Like, I really respect my friends. Like... Hearing some of my friends who are doing amazing things say, I don't like my work. It isn't to say, oh, great, we don't all like our work. It's like, okay, why? Why is it? Okay, I see, I see camaraderie in people who are honest with themselves because it shows they want to push things forward. So, yeah, I guess I seek out people who really inspire me and listen to their recollections of when they also had doubt. How did success change your work? Success allowed me to do... It allowed me to show the world what I already knew about myself. So I think at the beginning, I had to do very... People didn't, people didn't believe some of, the, like some of the stuff I've shot in the last year. I had for four or five years ideas. And people are like, mm, we're not sure. So I think success has allowed people to trust me more. What does art enable you to do? It enables me to cry. I don't think I... Yeah, I love you, Campbell. I love you for <laughs> saying that. Because I can't cry like normal. Like I feel like I'm a broken person. But oh, I can go to a gallery and be like, "Damn," or like, and also it's also the most stupid things. Like Kanye West said he wants to be the best dressed rapper, and I was like, "Oh, his mum was like, a giant doesn't see a giant when they look in the mirror." I was like, "Oh my god, my heart." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Has there been anything you've had to unlearn 
along the way in your professional career? Yes, I've had to stop thinking about what other people think. Because it's me thinking what other people are thinking. It's actually just me thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. It's coming from within the house. <laughs> Literally. Uh, I might print that up and put it above my computer. That's we all amazing. need it. It's coming from within the house, Karen. Oh. It's you. <laughs> Do you think photographs have the power to shift thinking and consciousness? Hundred percent. I think. I think of Steve Curry. You think of. I think. I think of photojournalism, but then also think of just your subject and image in the location will change people's minds. Like, just pick a black person on the cover of, of, a, of a magazine. Like, it sounds simple, but it's radical. Like, the last 25 years, the previous editor at Vogue put only two black people on the cover in their sing- as, as a single cover, and it was Naomi and Jordan, and they were 10 years apart. You know? Like, those little things. Just even the photograph of that famous image of the girl who was banned from the bomb in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Harrowing, but you can never not see that picture and see how despicable some of the Western territories have been. So I think it can, and I think that's what's beautiful about photography. If you're really authentic and honest with it, it will, it's can't lie, you know? To finish up, I wanted to ask you, what matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final work itself? Oh, the process. Even more so, like, the process, like, it's changed. I did a shoot last week, and we all were like, oh, we don't want to go home. Like, it was so fun, the process, because it's like, I think now my goal is if I have an idea and it starts as a seed, I will ask the stylist, okay, you're the soil, and then makeup, you're the water, and then hair, you're the sunlight. And then I also want some witch to come along and change what seed it was. So when it blooms, I'm thinking it's a hyacinth, but actually it's a sunflower. So we're all surprised. I kind of like that process. But the sunflower at the end, I don't really care for. I'm like, <laughs> cool, okay. But it's that process. I like I like to collaborate so much more now that the process, because you change. I think every project I do, I change if the if the process is how I want it to go. Thank you so much for coming on again. It honestly is such a joy to talk to you always. Yeah, we should do this like every, what, three years? Yeah, every three years. Have you fab. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.